Good morning. This is Darrell Gunter, your host for Leadership on WSOU 89.5 FM on a beautiful campus of Seton Hall University. Today, we're very happy to have Marlene K. Brownlee, candidate for Maplewood Township Committee. Let us say that we did invite his opponent to the station to do a debate. However, we have not heard back from Mr. Bart Albini. Marlon, welcome to the program. Hey, thank you, Daryl. It's a pleasure, pleasure to be here, Daryl. You know, I've known you for a number of years. You have served this community very well. Can you share with our audience a little bit about your background, your family, and activities that you're participating, and then why you're running? <laughs> Certainly. Well, um, I've, I've been in Maplewood for, for 19 years now. My wife and I uh, moved here from New York. Uh, I actually met my wife uh, many years ago. We went to Cornell University together. Uh, we've been together since then. Uh, married in 88, moved here in 91. And, uh, you know, we've uh, tried to be very involved people in the community over the years. Uh, I think, as you know, we were both involved in the PTA. That's uh, how we got our initial uh, involvement in the matters of Maplewood. Uh, I've been PTA president at South Mountain Elementary School. and belong to a, actually I was president of another organization called the PTA Presidents Council, all the PTA presidents in town, and was also chair of an organization called the South Orange Maplewood Community Coalition on Race. I was the chair of the Board of Trustees of that organization, which is devoted to promoting initiatives in uh, racial harmony in our community. So that and uh, a number of other uh, community initiatives I've been involved in, because I've tried over the years to be a really proactive, constructive uh, influence in the community. Whenever I see an issue that needs to be addressed, I've tried to involve myself uh, as best I can to, you know, again, try to move things forward in a positive way. And let's talk about your education. I believe, if I'm correct, you're a Cornell grad. Yes, Cornell. That's, uh, mm -hmm. that's again, where I met my wife. Mm -hmm. uh, I have an MB uh, MBA also from Northwestern University, also known as the Kellogg Graduate School of Management. I had a dual major in marketing and management information systems. And so, uh, you know, I've had a few years of school in my background as well. But you've been able to apply this knowledge and expertise to many different corporations as you have your own consultancy business. And I believe you've had this consult consultancy business for quite some time now. Yes, actually, uh, I started out working as a consultant in some of the major uh, consulting firms at the time. It was known as the Big Eight uh, accounting firm of Arthur Anderson. I was a consultant there. Um, but yes, I actually started my own practice in 1996, and I've had the good fortune of being able to work a with a lot of the leading corporations uh, in the country, actually. Um, a number of them in the apparel industry, you know, companies like Liz Claiborne and Tommy Hilfiger, and, but companies in other industries as well, like uh, Dun & Bradstreet and uh, Equitable Insurance Company. And I've also done a fair amount of work in government as well. Uh, did some work with the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey, but also the New York State government, and I'm currently working on a project for the city of New York as well. So I have experience in municipal government functions, uh, working with them as clients as well. You know, as I was reading through your biography, you had said that you wanted to create a firm that you wouldn't have to travel so much, but <laughs> unfortunately that wasn't the case. Oh, I, I, I tell people that I've been on uh, literally hundreds of plane flights during the course of my career. Uh, people sometimes think that's an exaggeration, but it's not. Uh, I've been had the good fortune of being able to work with the city of New York on my most recent client engagement, so uh, this sort of makes up for the difference because with the uh, lovely Midtown Direct that Maplewood has, I'm able to actually just take one stop into Penn Station and be at work, and so that's uh, a good turnabout from uh, how I've spent the majority of my career. Excellent, and excellent. And why are you running for Township Committee? Oh, it's, it's, it's been my, my whole modus operandi to really 
get involved where I see that I can make a, a positive difference. Uh, part of it, again, is just the, the kind of person that I am. Um, by professional training, um, when I'm brought in as a consultant, it's to address issues that a client is facing. And so when I see a situation that calls for uh, the person with the appropriate type of background to make an impact, a positive impact, as I've tried to do, um, I, I, I tend to get involved. I remember back, I think it was 2006, you ran for the Board of Education. Yes, I did. And that was a time where there was a lot of turmoil in the school system, and you stepped up to the plate and brought a lot of good reasoning and rationale to, to the uh, to, to the issues. Yes, I, um, a lot of people, a uh, number of people actually asked me at that time, why, why would you want to get involved uh, at this time of, su- of such turmoil? There was a lot of activities at the time. Um, literally, the uh, superintendent was uh, on their way out, actually, and that actually turned over while I was there. Um, there was some incidents at the high school. Actually, the high school students even walked out, actually, at one point, if you'll recall, during that time. And, uh, you know, although I was unsuccessful in getting a seat on the board in that election, one of the good things that came out of that was that a number of people have come up to me since then, um, still even to this day, and say, I remember you from when you ran for the board in 2006. And uh, that, that feels good. It lets me know that I, I, the people who actually had an opportunity to hear me, to actually hear what my vision was, um, felt favorably inclined towards my campaign. Um, obviously, it was unsuccessful, so maybe I didn't uh, get out as <laughs> to every single person uh, that I wished I could have. Well, President Obama ran for Congress once in, in the city of Chicago and lost, too. He's now our president. So. <laughs> well, hopefully that, that sets a good precedent here. Absolutely. And uh, please describe for our audience your leadership style and how has it developed over the years? Well, I, t- I tend to be a, 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 my style is a very collaborative one. Um, there are some people who like to lead by sort of waving the big stick, if you will, and say, you know, it's my way or the highway. My leadership style is one, really one more of a, a collaborative type of style. Um, in my consulting practice, when I work with uh, different businesses, it's often the rank and file who actually come up with some of the most creative ideas for addressing the business problems. And I get a real big kick out of taking their ideas and formulating the actual solutions to the business problems at hand, and then actually working with them and actually having them see the results of having that input into the process. Um, it really makes me feel, you know, just good to know that I've actually taken it actually address the issue at hand, and then they're able to actually see the results of having that input into the process. So it's a very, it's very collaborative. How would you view the, the style of the leadership of the current administration in regards to the, the township committee? How do they work together? Well, you know, the, the township committee is, is not unanimous. I mean, they've got their differences of opinion. Um, but one thing that I am trying to do uh, is, is really alter some of the perception as well. The people who are on the township committee now have been in that position for a number of years, except for the one slot that I'm, uh, I'm running for, obviously, which will turn over and hopefully I'll get in. Um, but there's a perception as I walk through the town and I, I talk to different people around the town that uh, while they're in a particular area, their, their needs are aren't being heard uh, by the people who are on the township committee. Now, I think that they are actually making an effort to do so, but uh, there's a perception still that's there. And my style, again, being a very collaborative one, uh, really going out and talking to the people, um, I I think that that will serve me well on the township committee. So I'm trying to to bring that to the fore as part of my candidacy. As I've heard and as I've read, you have been literally walking through the various towns (laughs) of... uh, uh, Maplewood, except for that one area where you have to drive to, which is, which is close to Billboard, I believe. Uh, yes, I, I've, I've been literally to uh, quite a few block parties, uh, coffees, uh, walking door to door, 
standing in Maplewood Village, uh, on Springfield Avenue, um, you know, everywhere from Jacoby Street to, to Wyoming Avenue and, and all parts in between. You know, I, I have a saying that if I could talk to all 24,000 people in the town, I, I, I would. Uh, obviously, that's not, uh, you know, not possible. There's not enough time to do that. Um, but I'm certainly making every effort to reach out to as, as many different people as I can. You know, I particularly enjoy doing uh, coffees where I have an opportunity to talk at length with the people, and uh, I've had a very good uh, I've had a very good reception to the things I've talked about when I've uh, when I've met with people in those situations. And what what do you think are the key elements of of a great leader, and which ones you think you do best? So that the key elements of a great leader? Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, um, well, if you're going to be a leader, you you need to serve. I mean, you really have to think of that as your your key purpose in being a leader. Um, It's incumbent upon a person who's a great leader to understand what are the needs of those people that they are purporting to lead. And unless you're actually uh, going out and doing that, soliciting and understanding what the needs of the people are, you can't adequately lead them. Now, it's obviously important that you have your own vision as well. It's not strictly a you're led by the crowd type of thing. But if you're simply going into a situation with your own agenda and seeking to accomplish that, then you're, again, kind of going with the big stick approach. You're trying to force people to go in a particular direction. I, again, by nature of the kind of person I am, I'm much more of a collaborative type of person. So while I have my own vision, I also want to work with the people and sometimes get those great ideas from, again, so-called rank and file. But I just consider it the everyday people like you and me. And then bring those and bring those together to put together the best solutions for the challenges that we face. From your perspective, if you are elected, what are the key issues that you would like to address in your first term? Well, I've been very... um, uh, elaborated at length, I should say, on, on the three major themes for my campaign. And, and the first major theme is, is something called shared services. And when I say shared services, what I mean is the sharing of the responsibility for delivering the services that the government needs to provide to its people with other municipalities or even the county, if you will. And the reason for doing that is you're able to actually offset some of the expenses that are associated with delivering those services if you do that in a collaborative type fashion. So that's one of the major themes of my campaign. Another is uh, maintenance of our infrastructure. And when I say infrastructure, I'm talking about those things that are both the visible things that we see and the not so visible. So you talk about the visible things, it's the, the, uh, the buildings that you see, the roofs over our heads, you can kind of see those things, if you will, the storm drains, but then there are the things that are less visible, that are underground, the pipes that bring the water and the gas into our houses and bring away the, the, the sanitary waste and, and, and water drainage, if you will, from our houses. Um, it was a 2004 uh, master plan that was written for Maplewood that actually says that Maplewood's infrastructure and community facilities are aging and in need of repair. But in my conversations, there really isn't a, a proactive, regular maintenance schedule that is in place to continually monitor the state of those different things. It's really uh, addressed on more of an ad, say ad hoc basis, but as as need type of basis. So what happens as a result is you find yourself in a situation where you're doing a repair in response to something and it tends to be more of an emergency type of thing. And there's usually a higher cost associated with it when you do that way. So uh, for those of people who are a little older, you may remember the, the Fram or oil filter commercial where the guy says, you can pay me now or you can pay me later. Right. Well, I, I'm trying to actually do that upfront maintenance. And one of the things that I've called for in my candidacy is to do a, uh, establish a regular schedule for the maintenance of the different aspects of our infrastructure. 
So those are the first two key elements. And the third key element of my uh, campaign is, is proactive engagement with the entire community. So while people uh, you know, are in their neighborhoods and they're feeling that their needs are not necessarily met, I feel it's incumbent upon us as a township committee to, in some cases, go to where the people are in order to deliver the messages that need to be talked about with them. Um, you know, there was an example. There was a, uh, a Jacoby Street street fair, actually, where they actually closed the street. And they actually had representatives from the different departments that make up the township. And they actually went there, closed the street, and gave the residents in that area an opportunity to talk face-to-face -face with the representatives of the different departments. The people there actually gave the information to the residents. And I, I recall when I was there that um, the vice mayor at the, t at the time, she, she actually came up and said, does anybody have any questions about something she had just spoken about? And there was a kind of an older woman who was standing by the fence, and she kind of walked over, you know, slowly, if you will, and she went up to her and says, I want to ask you about this. And she asked her right then and there. Now, in a typical scenario, in order to get the audience of somebody like that, you might need to call town hall and you know press two for this or press four for this. But something about face-to-face -face communication, I think, is really important. You know, one of the reasons that I really liked Maplewood when I first moved here 19 years ago was because my children could literally walk down the street and I could introduce them and say, "Hey, there's the mayor. Oh, hey, here's the the township committee person." And you know, they could see the actual people who are in the governing um, body of the of the of our town. Um, to a certain extent, that's been lost a little bit. And that's, again, something that I'm trying to bring to bear as part of my candidacy for the township committee. Speaking of shared services, Maplewood and South Orange share the school system. And uh, I don't know if they, I think they might share a courtroom now because Maplewood has a new facility that maybe South Orange is going to use. What are some of your other ideas that are shared services that make sense? Mm -hmm. Well, it's funny you mentioned the schools because a lot of people don't think of that as, in fact, a shared service. And one of the things that people talk about in terms of the barriers to establishing a shared service type of arrangement is they're used to doing things the way in which they've done them in the past. And so I kind of pose the example of, well, if there was a Maplewood High School and a South Orange High School, how much resistance would there be to combining them into one high school today? Imagine the dialogue that we'd be having today if that was under consideration. But the fact that Columbia High School has existed since 1927, uh, it's always been that way within the lifespan of the people who are talking about it today. So they don't think about it as a shared service, and it, it's just the way things are. So when we talk about shared services and trying to establish that type of thing onto uh, other areas as well, um, I had an example, a discussion with uh, the head of the Department of Public Works actually fairly recently, and one of the things he mentioned was that in order to maintain, again, I'm talking about infrastructure here, the pipes underneath the street, they actually contract out with an agency that actually charges us. Uh, they, they have this equipment, if you will, that telescopes the pipes and actually takes pictures of them and looks for flaws. And in order to engage this company to do that type of work, they actually have to pay about $1,000, or even in peak season, $1,500 or $2,000 per day in order for them to actually do that examination. Well, I asked him whether or not it made sense to perhaps work with another town. The, the equipment that's used to do this is rather expensive, and not every town has one, and we don't, and that's why we do that. Uh, Union has one of those machines. And I said, well, perhaps we could strike an arrangement with Union where they actually come and examine our pipes and we would pay them a certain amount of money to do that, certainly less than the $2,000 per day that the consultant pays for us, uh, that we pay the consultant mm -hmm. to do this for us. And 
it would be a win-win situation because they would be getting revenue that they wouldn't have because, again, we're paying them to do this for us. But we would also be getting our work done at a lesser rate than it did before. Now, the typical situation is that uh, a recommendation is that we should, if, if expenses are too high, we should cut. We should cut. So the typical response in that is we should cut the amount we're spending on examining our pipes because we don't have the money. But here's a case where you can actually strike a shared service arrangement, deliver the same amount of service or maybe even increase service. Maybe we could actually examine them more frequently, okay, but actually pay less than we're paying now. It sounds almost magical, but by using a shared service type of arrangement, you can actually maintain or even improve the level of services while keeping the cost down. You would think that uh, our county executive does such a great job that um, that's something that Essex County could have for the, for the different municipalities to use. Yes. In fact, I, I had a conversation with our chief executive, Joe DiVincenzo, uh, a couple of weeks ago. And there was an article recently in the paper where in Union County, Fanwood was actually outsourcing their 911 police dispatch services to Union County. And so rather than, you know, you call 911, you want somebody to be at your house in, in three minutes because you've got an emergency. Well, that person in Fanwood is not in Fanwood. They're actually at the Union County level, and they're dispatching the Fanwood police to the people in that municipality. Now, I asked Joe DiVincenzo, would, could Essex County do something similar? Are we in a position to do a similar type of thing? And he said that the, the infrastructure wasn't in place just yet, but that was something that they were making an investment in. So I could certainly talk about that as a possibility as part of my candidacy. So when I talk about shared services, we often talk about uh, Maplewood and South Orange being sister towns, and most of the shared services discussions really revolve around doing things between those two sounds, again, because the school system is already in place and there's a natural thought that we should continue looking in that direction. But Maplewood actually borders six towns, not just South Orange. And so I'm interested in establishing relationships with all those towns and looking at the county level as well. So, you know, certainly that's, that's part of the discussion as well, not just the municipalities, but at the county level as well. And for that matter, you can also look internally because the school system is actually another entity as well. Uh, we actually do have, you know, kind of a minor thing here, but we actually share grass cutting services mm -hmm. with the Board of Education. So there's one vendor who cuts the grass for South Orange, Maplewood, and the Board of Education. So those shared services arrangements can actually be done internally. Same level of service, exactly, place. exactly. I mean, the economies of scale are all there, and that's mm -hmm. what it's about. You know, so when you look at your three points, is shared services, maintenance, and then to have a very uh, uh, interactive discussion with the community. What you're trying to do, I see, is that you're trying to elevate the discussion within the community to talk about these issues. And I tell you, if we can get this uh, maintenance issue solved, then uh, we, we, we can all save some of our taxes, which leads to my next question. Um, how do you feel about the taxes in uh, Maplewood as well as in Essex County, mm. in New Jersey for that matter? They seem like they're, they're running away from us. Well, well, I, I think I'm, I'm not alone when I say that uh, the taxes in, in, uh, in our town are, 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 are extremely high. Uh, there, there's no doubt about that. We are, in New Jersey, one of the most overtaxed areas in the country. And that's, that's an issue that, that not just Maplewood, but all municipalities face within the state as well. Our governor has put in place uh, a so-called cap, if you will, on the amount that municipalities can pay in an effort to uh, curtail the runaway growth in property taxes. And that's actually something I support. I actually support the fact that he's got the cap. But 
What he hasn't done is the other side of the equation, which I said was a necessary element of this, and that is what he's called the so-called toolkit for municipalities. So right now we're in a situation where we've got the cap in place, but we don't have the toolkit to control the costs that go into those things that are being capped. Now, the cap does have four exceptions. So in a sense, I consider it almost a faux arrangement because there are exceptions for those things that exceed the cap. It's the rate of growth that's been put on the cap, if you would. But um, nevertheless, uh, it is a start. Um, but without the concomitant toolkit, we're basically structurally locked into an untenable situation. And that, and that unfortunately, is the situation we find ourselves in right now. So, you know, it's, it's a start, but there's still a lot more work to be done. Yeah, it seems like the, the governor has uh, really put his uh, gauntlet down on the educational system. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that where he's trying to create his own toolkit, you think, in regards to trying to keep the cost down? Because he's got a limit on what the towns can raise the property taxes of the individuals. But meanwhile, educational costs are rising. Yeah, educational costs are rising. And, uh, you know, if you look at in our town of Maplewood, where the school system represents 58 cents out of every tax dollar that you spend, clearly that's an area that needs to be looked at. Now, on the other hand, you know, I've been, as you, as you know, a very keen observer of our school system, and I've watched the budget process over the years, and I know that the Board of Education, the superintendent, have made diligent efforts to curtail any excessive spending. Uh, not that there was a whole lot to begin with, <laughs> but they've made a lot of cuts in an effort to, to still maintain the core things that need to be done, but uh, curtail within the scope of what the governor is trying to do. Um, the expenses that are there. Now, the governor cut $892 million out of educational funding uh, in the state of New Jersey this year, Um, but we've got costs that are continuing to rise at a greater rate than the caps that we're talking about, special special needs children, uh, cost of energy, healthcare costs. These things continue to rise. That's why also I I consider it a little bit of a, a faux deal, if you will, as well, because when you get your property tax bill next time around, you're going to look at it and say, well, wait a minute, I thought there was a, a 2% cap. How come my taxes went up by 4%, 5%? Well, you know, it's a shame because while the governor cut $892 million out the budget, uh, the mistake that he and his uh, uh, secretary of the education made cost us uh, almost the same amount of money. So <laughs> we're, we're talking about $1.5, billion that we've lost in funding for education. Yes, and uh, that that's that's a whole issue in and of itself. I mean, we lost the uh, $462 million uh, that were pos- possibly available as part of the Race to the Top application. Um, I've, I've, I've certainly followed that story and heard that, oh, there was a mistake on the application and things like that. One would think that, obviously, given the magnitude of this and the, the sheer importance of it, that um, that would be looked after. Um, you know, there's a back and forth, obviously, at the state level in terms of who is at fault. Uh, the bottom line is that all of us in New Jersey have suffered as a result. And so right. the and, fault and allow me to correct matter. myself. Thank you for the mm. correct amount of $452 million. 462, yes. 462. So mm-hmm. it's like $1.2 billion. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that really surprised me about the leadership within the state of New Jersey at all levels is that no one said a thing. No one came out and said, this is utterly ridiculous. I mean, there was some, of course, the, the, the folks in Trenton, they did raise their concerns. But in the local municipalities, it was almost like radio silence. Now, that's my opinion. Well, do you, did you notice anyone to raise Well, their- Well, certainly our, our mayor did uh, weigh out on that. And, and again, this is, this is part of the, the challenge, obviously, is in terms of how, how do you 
have that constant dialogue with the community and actually make sure that you're heard. Uh, in Maplewood, there are a number of outlets, for example, in South Orange as well, where people can get their news, can get their information. Um, you know, we've got a, a local newspaper and we've got uh, various websites. And we have Patch. We have Patch, yes, exactly. Maplewood and Online. Maplewood Online, exactly. People can go to Town Hall. But there's a website for the township. Um, these are all ways in which people can get information. Um, but again, uh, not everybody goes to any one of those particular things. And so what we find is that news is disseminated in one of those venues, but people might be looking at another venue and another piece of information is disseminated in this venue and people looking at that venue. And as a result, somebody's always missing out on, on the news. You, you know, that's a nice segue because my next question deals with the issue that you've raised in your debates in regards to communication. You said, while folks are making all the best efforts and there's all these tools and media outlets, there seems to be a perception in the community that folks are not listening. What are you going to do specifically to address the issue of communication? Well, one of the things that is really an extension of what I've been doing on the campaign, and that is getting out and actually talking to people face to face. I mean, it sounds so simple, but when you actually are interacting with people face to face, uh, there's just an, a level of exchange that doesn't happen when you're expecting people to come to town hall meetings, etc. Um, one of the things that uh, I enjoyed in, in talking uh, with people in the town, uh, but I found interesting, was that they, while they were happy to see me and have the exchanges with me that they were having, a couple of them remarked to me that I was the first person on the township committee that they had ever actually met. And now I'm not on the township committee, <laughs> okay? And certainly I'll, I'll take that. I'll take that as a vote of confidence, if you would. But uh, the fact that they could not, in their conscious recollection, think of an example of where they'd actually met somebody, I found to be. Uh, something that was lacking. So that is something that I intend to continue. In fact, I've told people as I've met them that this is not, this, this should not be the last time that they see me. I intend to can maintain my dialogue with them after I'm in office as well, if I'm fortunate enough to be elected. And have there been any polls in regards to the election, or is, is it just too local for folks to do a poll? No, there's no, there's no Gallup polls on uh, Maplewood's election. Um, I, I will say that, you know, people have remarked in terms of the, uh, the overall numbers, if you will, in terms of numbers of registered voters of the different parties and have considered me the favorite. Uh, however, I am just not the kind of person that likes to take things for granted. And so that's why I'm out there going to block parties, going to coffees, uh, walking door to door all over town, standing in Maplewood Village, going out. You know, I was out one day, there was a tornado watch, and, uh, you know, I was out talking to people anyway because I I'm just not taking it for granted. I consider uh, public servant opportunities to be a, uh, an almost sacred obligation. Um, and so I I'm taking it seriously, and I'm, I'm getting out there and talking to people. In, in reading uh, some clippings from your opponent, Mr. Bart Albini, he claims that you do not believe that there is fat in the budget to cut, and he feels there is fat in the, in the budget to cut. How, how would you respond to that? <laughs> well, uh, as I mentioned earlier, you know, I, I being a, you know, 58 cents of the dollar goes to the school systems, and what he typically cites is the fact that he feels that there are too many administrators in the schools, and therefore the, 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 the budget is fatty, if you will. That's what he said once. And so therefore we need to cut administrators in order to address the budget situation that we have. You know, if we concede that point, let, let, I'll, I'll concede the point and say, you know what, let's fire all the administrators, just rhetorically speaking. Let's, let's fire all the administrators. The question then is, then what? 
Because even if you fire all the administrators, that's still not going to solve the entire What's budget the situation. Answer? That's not the ultimate answer. Right. So even if you, I even give the example of, well, let's say, why don't we take the entire school budget if you feel we spend too much money on the schools? And let's cut the budget in half. Let's fire all the administrators and half the teachers. Again, I'm not advocating sure, this. Let's do clearly, zero budget. you know, let's let's go back. Yeah. So, we have a hundred and eight million dollar school budget this year. Let's make it a, a fifty million dollar school budget next year. Guess what? A year from now, you're in the same situation. Why? Because you can't mathematically cut your way out of it. You have a cap on how much you can spend next year versus this year. So while that may have given you a one-year reprieve, the next year, the cost of health care, the cost of pension obligations, the cost of those things rises at a rate faster than the cap that you have. And so now you've got a $50 million problem instead of a $108 million problem. You've still got the same situation. You'll still need to make cuts. So to say that, oh, we're, we have an administrator-heavy budget or whatever, that just doesn't address the fundamental situation. It almost sounds similar to General Motors' problem with their uh, pensions and their health care issues that they had before they had to have the government bail them out. Yes. Well, Marlon, we're out of time, but any last thoughts you would like to leave with our audience about your candidacy for the Maplewood Township Committee? Well, well certainly um, my, my hope is that uh, as people have an opportunity to hear me, to hear the things that I'm talking about, they'll get a feeling for the kind of person that I am, and they'll get an understanding of what my priorities are. And if they hear that, um, obviously my hope is that they'll be willing to support my candidacy on November 2nd by voting for me in the election. Uh, certainly that's my hope. That's certainly my intent. Um, again, I'm the kind of person that is going to not just be out talking during the campaign, but, but after the election as well. And so certainly I look forward to November 2nd, and, and hopefully uh, I'll be an elected member of the Maplewood Township Committee. Well, excellent. We are here with candidate Marlon K. Brownlee for the Maplewood Township Committee as our in-studio guest. You're going to come back with us next week, correct? Oh, yes, I'll definitely. I appreciate this. Uh, we, do, we do appreciate you having you here. This is Darrell Gunter, your host of Leadership on WSOU 89.5 FM on Seton Hall University. Have a great weekend. Remember, leadership begins with you.